give me one shot here on a blue chip stock, believe me, Kevin, the only problem I'm going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA Draft fans? Your boys are back! The Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analyst, favorite draft analyst. It is the Draft Act NBA Draft Show on the No Ceilings Podcast Network. My name is Corey Teleba. I'm the NBA Draft Dude. And I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Albert Garbage Time Gim. Albert, what's cracking, man? We had uh, quite the week. <laughs> we did. We did have quite the week. Um... We spent a lot of time together in person, yes, um, which is different for us. Um, usually, we're on opposing coasts of our gigantic country, um, but it's good to be back, Corey. I realized I have not been on my own pod for <laughs> three weeks, so yeah, it feels I'm back home, and it feels good to be back, and I'm really excited. And I think before we even start, Corey, I did want to say I think for the both of us, um, being in Portland being with you know some of the crew not the whole crew but being some with some of the crew um being credentialed being there on the floor um in 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 attendance with all the people there i feel refreshed i feel um excited i feel really humbled um by the experience that we had and i feel like it was an incredible reminder of what we're doing and how blessed we are to be doing what we're doing and I don't know. It's like weird that we're starting with this, but I did want to say that it was an incredible experience. And I feel really, I, I just felt very humbled and grateful mm -hmm. afterwards that we, I, I know like we're, we all still kind of have our day jobs and we're doing this or we're trying to make this our main thing. But the fact that we were still able to be there and do what we did was incredible. And um, I had the time of my life and I, and I'm really glad I was able to share that with you. So I did want to say that. Hell yeah, man. Uh, it's yeah, it is. It's moments like those where, it, you know, we we do this virtually for the most part because all of us live in different places. And, you know, I scout a lot of games live with Nathan because he's on the East Coast. You know, you scout games sometimes with Rucker. Um, other guys, you know, are spread out all across the country as well. We got to meet Metcalf for the first time in person. Um, and it just feels a little bit more real when you're there in person. And, you know, we were at the Nike Hoop Summit scouting, you know, some of the top high school talent both internationally and and domestically um culminating in a really fantastic game uh at the moda center in in portland but you know it, it's it was a really great time and and you know any time that the the no ceilings crew can actually be physically together even if it's just you know like half or maybe even 40 percent of us it is truly truly you know an awesome feeling but <clears throat> today um, we're not here to pontificate about the Nike Hoop Summit too much because you're going to get that with Tyler and Tyler, the double technical, uh, on tomorrow's podcast. Um, today, we're here to talk about Kobe Bufkin um, from the Michigan Wolverines. And um, I think that we're really excited to talk about uh, Kobe Bufkin. He's a, a really exciting prospect, 19.75 uh, years old on draft night, and he's only a sophomore, so he is a young sophomore. He's listed at 6'4", 175, which uh, I think kind of checks out, <laughs> you know, as far as uh, yeah. the weight part of it. Uh, he, I, I don't know what his wingspan is, but it does look 
pretty long. Yeah. Like it, it looks very plus, which yeah. is a good thing considering, you know, where he is at with his weight. Uh, he played 34 minutes per game, averaged 14 points, four and a half rebounds, 2.9 assists to 1.9 turnovers with 1.3 steals and 0.7 blocks. Uh, field goal percentage of 48% on the dot, shot 35.5% from three, 84.9% from the line which I love. That's a very good number on 2.6 free throw attempts per game, uh, an efficient 57.8% true shooting percentage, a PR of 19.2 BPM of 6.7 uh, preseason. Kobe was unranked. He was a guy that definitely was somebody we were monitoring um, throughout the course of the season. Obviously he was on our radar uh, as a guy who could potentially, you know, do something. And it took him a while to heat up, but he has started to pop up on boards. Uh, it, it's a little bit reminiscent of the time frame of Jalen Williams last year, who was a slow cook, kind of slow burn guy who ultimately ended up as a lottery pick, but really didn't show up on boards until, you know, around now. You know, we, we were on him. Uh, before this, but you know, in the mainstream, Jalen didn't show up until around February, January, February. Um, and Kobe kind of feels the same way currently. ESPN has him at 23, the Athletic has him at 24, Tankathon has him at 21, Bleach Report has him at 14, No Ceilings has him at 18. Uh, the Ringer did not have him ranked in their top 40. And Swish Theory has him at 31 for an average price of 25.9. And as I said, he was unranked on the February draft act update. I have to do the the April update. I didn't do one for March. So things are, I think, are gonna look drastically different um on the, the draft stock updates when we do that. So that's gonna be an exciting pod in general to talk about. But it it just again goes to show that that Kobe Bufkin was a guy who rose gradually. It wasn't this right. thing. It, there was no hype behind it. He just played his way into this first round conversation. So, Albert, I ask you, at 25.9, is Kobe Bufkin's stock price too high, too low, or is it just right? Um, this is one of those things where if you saw a real-life stock um, at that price, you would buy, mm. buy, buy because Kobe Bufkin at 25 is way way too low and if you're buying Kobe Bufkin at that price now you are about to make a ton of money because Corey what you said uh, at the beginning was so accurate and exactly what I was thinking and made me so excited I think I made a face when you said it but um, he, it reminded me so much of Jalen Williams last year um, that that trajectory where um, he, he wasn't talked about too much. I believe one of the first people to mention it, even in our group chat, um, I believe Rucker had said that, you know, like an NBA guy had mentioned to him, like, hey, you should be watching this kid. And then he watched some stuff and then wrote the article that he did. Mm -hmm. And then he shared that with us. And then I watched him and I was like, wow, he's ridiculous. And then all those things happened. And as I'm watching Buffkin, I'm like, yeah, um, he's really really good and so before we get into all the finer details of his game and everything i did want to say it's freaking unbelievable the new features we have with Streamyard right now we have the freaking <laughs> big board going on the bottom plus the highlights playing as we're talking it feels like you and i are living out our childhood dreams of being espn anchors right now um but no buffkin at 25 is a ridiculous price if you're getting him there you should buy you should 
throw your life savings into that and you'll be okay because Buffkin is going in my opinion mm. and we'll talk more about it will severely outplay that price because I think he's a really really good prospect. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um I would be bye bye bye. I I have him at 16 right now. Cool. Um so just about outside the lottery I could definitely see myself moving him up throughout the year. I don't think I could see myself dropping him. Um, but I think that he's a guy that when we start getting Intel and when we start seeing workout videos and we're talking to people who work in the league and, and, and blah, blah, blah. I think he's one of the guys that is going to rise even more so than he is right now. Cause even, you know, just looking at the list, um, you know, the ringer didn't even have him listed in their top 40. And I can't see that sustaining throughout you know the the rest of this draft process where they just don't think he's you know a fur you know tr- basically draftable like as a guy who could potentially make it in the long term because it feels like top 40 is really where it's like all right these are 40 guys who maybe could possibly and then you're throwing darts after that i think when they start diving in things get a little closer they'll they'll ramp it up uh, Swish Theory still has him borderline first. Bleacher Report and John Wasserman has him at 14. You know, I think that's closer to the range that people are going to get there. Collectively, we had him at 18 uh, on the big board that we just dropped at noceilingsmba.com. So uh, I think he's got a package in which people are going to be very, very excited to kind of, you know, get their hands on a, a kid like this and and he's not without his faults he's not without his weaknesses but he certainly is um with a bunch of strengths so i'm gonna give you a you know little um ten dollars to invest as i as i do mm-hmm. and i tried to make it a little bit complicated i tried to go with two other guards so you have ten dollars to invest in kobe buffkin Jordan Hawkins and Nick Smith Jr. Yeah, that that is hard. That is hard. Okay. Because I know you love, I know you love Hawkins. <laughs> I know you love Hawkins. Yeah, this is not fun for me. Okay, so just to kind of get some insight. Yeah, so I have Buffkin at fourteen on my board. Um, Hawkins is at twelve for me, so that's tough. Nick Smith actually I have twentieth, and I. Don't feel great about that. So let's do this. Okay. Uh, cool. I, yeah. It's hard. I have I have Nick uh, Hawkins and Buffkin back to back as well. See, so they're, okay. Yeah, they're, they're... I'm going to do this, Corey, and I feel good about it. Um, I'm going to go $6 to Jordan Hawkins. Uh, I'm going to go three fifty to Kobe Buffkin. And I'm going to okay, give okay. 50 cents. <laughs> to, to Nick Smith Jr. I think that that's fair. Okay. I think that's completely fair. Man, and now it's my turn, and I had all day to think about this, and I still, up until this moment right now, don't feel great about it. So I'm going to go $5 to Hawkins. Okay. I'm going to give $4 to Buffkin and a dollar to Nick Smith Jr. even though um I I have my reservations about Nick Smith and you know I feel like 
he's a guy that if you go back and listen to our preseason episode, you'll realize that, you know, we, we liked him, but we had our reservations about him there as well. Okay. It's time to get into the scout. Um, I, I feel like, you know, it's been a while since both of us mm-hmm. were on this particular pod doing this. Let's start it out the old fashioned way Good. by breaking down um, his shooting. So what did you think about um, Bufkin as, as a shooter? I think for me, generally, I am usually out of my depths and I talk about the form and stuff like that. And I, and I look, Corey, I look myself in the mirror. I said, Albert, what are you doing? It's not your specialty. <laughs> you know, entrust that into, you know, Professor Taliba. But no, I, I, I like how it looks is where mm. I'll start. I do like how it looks. I think it's compact. I like how it looks. There's a shot right there pulling up right from from deep looks yep. good looks smooth um the numbers i think are very good for me personally and Corey, you and i we say this almost every damn pod we believe in guys who hit free throws and he shot 85 percent from the free throw line of course mm-hmm. only on 2.6 attempts per game i know that's not great but context who did he play with right he played with hunter dickinson who touched the ball all the time and that's something I've been thinking about a lot today um, in the last couple of days, thinking about Bufkin, thinking about Jed Howard. I, I feel like if these guys had played on different teams, what would their numbers look like? Because Hunter Dickinson was a frustrating player to watch this season. I mean, I, I think, yeah. you know, we've we've had Metcalf talk our ears off about it and how frustrated he was with Hunter Dickinson and his post play and how Michigan was so set on getting him these post touches that a lot of times ended up in bricks and Buffkin and Jed Howard had to survive and live within that ecosystem and make something of themselves. And Buffkin had a pretty good season. And so considering the shooting from what you guys are seeing on the screen right now, and from what I watched on tape, I really, really thought that he now, of course, I think for right now where he's at, he's more effective in the mid range than he is from outside, but that out, outside shooting number is not bad either. 35.5% from three, as I mentioned, 85% from the free throw line. Um, the biggest thing that I enjoyed Corey was um, obviously he saw a huge uptick in minutes from his freshman season to his sophomore season, but just, you know, looking at the raw numbers, you know, he, he doubled his attempts per three per game and he went up what 13 percent for three point percentage uh free throw percentage all went up so um i think th- those are really positive signs and i really enjoyed what i saw from him as a shooter yeah it, it i'm almost surprised that he's not shooting a better percentage yeah given that i think his form is pretty and i i will say that there, i and we'll get into it in a, in a bit but there is one little thing that I, I think he can he work on, but it's not anything major. There's nothing catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Um, also, shout out to everybody watching live. Eric Olson in the chat. Shout out to uh, to you. Uh, we love when when everybody participates in in the chat. Um, but you know, it's clear that there's something there, and he's got this on ball juice to him, and he's smooth and. I think that when I look at NBA shot creators, like this is what they look like. This is the handle that they have. This is the ability that they have to get to a pull up. And I I think when I I start envisioning him in the context of, you know, an an NBA player, um, this is the, the kind of guard that you want if you were drafting, especially in that range. Um, because if he was six, six, you know, this is a guy who's probably going in the the top, mm-hmm. you know, 
six or seven. Um, and uh, at that point, you're like, oh, man, like, I wonder if we're just overthinking it with him. Um, but I just I love the ways that he gets into his shots. Like you said, 85 percent from the free throw line. That's like an exceptional number. Even here on this miss, I just really enjoyed this possession hmm. in showing the kind of pace that he plays with the kind of uh, creativity that he has coming off this DHO uh, with Hunter Dickinson. Um, he's going to come, he's going to reject and just confidently pull up and it's a miss and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's okay that he yeah. misses that shot because it's a makeable shot, but it's mm-hmm. the ease in which he can get it off. And I think as the season progressed, um, you started seeing different ways that he was able to get his shot off um, in, in how confident he looked. And right here, I mean, a mm-hmm. little snatchback, you know, a filthy little snatchback there from him. Um, I, I think, you know, whenever he comes off a screen and he gets like the big in a predicament where he's got to start thinking about, does he guard him? And um, that's tough. And, and I think, you know, and we'll touch on, Buffkin's, you know, mid-range game. I think there's a lot more to unlock with his distance shooting and it's shots like that that kind of give me the confidence in him. Yeah. Yeah, Corey, I, I think something that we we need to note that you and I we talked about uh, in Portland, uh this guy has ridiculously long legs and especially like on a play like the one that you just showed before with the snatchback um the, the length in his legs i think definitely help with that in terms sure. of the, the ground that he's covering on a snatchback like that um also i i you know he's not going to be my calm for him but you can you can kind of sniff a little bit of heart into his game too with some of the mm. like the tween snatchback stuff that he does um that looks really good right there too another example of that um but i'm with you man i, I think from outside it, it, it's something that he's just I mean, just considering where he's he's going to play in the NBA next, right? And so uh, I think just very naturally, almost on any team he ends up on, they're probably going to tell him to take more threes. And I'm really excited to see that because the form is there, as you mentioned. And even on that position that you highlighted before, I think it was against, uh, Wisconsin, no, this is the Wisconsin one, but I don't remember who it was. But um, it just he, he takes good shots too. I felt like from outside, like he, he's a really smart cerebral player that I personally didn't feel like he tr- ever tried or oh, not ever, ever is a bad word to use here. But generally I felt like he took smart shots and was a pretty sa- pretty savvy about the types of shots that he was taking. So I, I pretty much have no, uh, nothing to fight you on. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I kind of wish he took more of these shots. Yeah. Like it was yeah. almost, it felt like to his detriment that he wasn't, forcing it more because when you put him and and i think part of it was role too um because it's not like he was always on ball and i think that's one of the positives but like look at this big and drop step back too late Mm. smooth like him coming off a screen putting the big in that position where he has to make a decision because he's crafty he's got hezzies he can get downhill and it's just it, it really puts the big in a predicament when you think of nba spacing like and granted, you know, guys will be longer and, and and all of that. But it's just something that I think is going to be an underutilized part of his game. Because his volume wasn't super high. It wasn't crazy low or anything. But it wasn't uh, super high. So uh, I think, you know, 
if you look at you know some of the stuff he does in the mid range, which will pop on the screen. Look at that hustle play, winning play gets dives on the floor. You love seeing that. Um, gets the ball, dances a little bit. Um, he's going to bring Hunter Dickinson out for the screen. They love doing this little uh, boom into the DHO, the reject, and splash, big and drop, Trace Jackson Davis right in his eye. So, you know, that kind of stuff I think he's going to have, and he'll mm-hmm. earn that. It's not stuff he's going to get into right away necessarily at a super high volume, um, most likely. But I think a lot of the, the the mid-range stuff that we see from him, which is super smooth, is going to turn into three-point attempts. Yeah. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And like, I, I think also, Corey, it's something that when we talked about um, Colby Jones and mm-hmm. um, I had brought up to him, I was like, hey, man, like, you know, I, I know you really love the floater, but I was wondering if, you know, there's an opportunity for you to take it more to the rim. And he was like, hey, um, I hear that. But for me personally, um, I just feel really comfortable with that. Floater, yes. Right. And I wonder if that was a thing for Kobe where Kobe as you said, Corey could have taken more threes a hundred percent. But it could have been a comfort thing for him too, where if we were to ask him and fingers crossed, maybe we do get to ask him on a pod soon, Kobe, if you hear this, but we're open always. Um, But it may be a thing where it it was just something he was more comfortable with, right. Taking that type of shot. And I, and I think it was there Um, according to, uh, I might be wrong. I'm looking at Bartorvik here, but it looks like other than at the rim, his other two point percentage, he shot 38.9% from there on 113 attempts, which is, you know, pretty good volume there too. Um, So yeah, I'm just wondering if it's a comfort thing. And maybe in the NBA, we take like, I don't know, 30 or 40 of those and move them out to three. And, you know, he looks like a very different player. Yeah. And look, the, the, like you said, the, the comfortability and then just the fact that it's a good shot for him. This is probably yes. my favorite possession uh, of his entire film dive that I had. And it is a mid range shot um, because it shows the kind of craftiness and, and how comfortable he is operating at a pick and roll with the ball in his hands. So he's going to come off the screen with Dickinson. He's going to snake the ball screen and just sidestep to the elbow, really creating enough space that it makes it hard for the guard to get back into play off the screen. And then the big to be able to contest because he's creating so much space hopping to his left. It's really, really smooth. And, you know, according to Synergy in the half, just looking at sh- mid-range shots in the half yeah. court, 46.3%. Okay. Now, you you mentioned like Kobe Jones getting to his floater. Um, Kobe shot his floaters uh, at 40.7% according to Synergy, which is good, but it was like a little bit less than one per game. And mm-hmm. I actually do think that that's going to be an important shot for him at the next level uh, because I think that, you know, when we get to his finishing, um, first of all, his finishing numbers are incredible and we'll see, but yeah, I also have to watch the tape. And I do think there are going to be, um, moments where he's going to have to bust that out to keep the big guessing at the next level in situations where maybe, you know, it, it doesn't affect him nearly, uh, as much, but, mm. um, the other thing about him as a shooter, right? is that he's he doesn't need the ball in his hands yeah. to thrive and that's what makes him you know a, a really high level prospect it's not that he can create off the bounce so much i wish that he did it more but look at this this is really heady um off the little hammer action mm-hmm. he he smartly flattens out to the corner yeah. uh, against north carolina here and knocks down the catch and shoot three so um that's going to be a, a big part of his game. I think that's really important. Um, 
37.6% on catch and shoot shots in the half court, which Mm -hmm. is not like Clay Thompson, (laughs) Reggie Miller stuff, but Mm -hmm. it's good. And and both guarded and unguarded, he's pretty much the same. He's 35.5% overall, but you could put him next to maybe a Luka Doncic. You know, that type of guy. And uh, maybe he replaces a little bit of the role that Jalen Brunson has. You know, I I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I didn't even plan on, you know, I'm not making a comp or anything. I'm just saying um, if, uh, you know, the Mavericks did just tank. But <laughs> he's he's got the ability to score without the ball in his hand. So we see him flattening out there. And then uh, here against Maryland, I love the the shot that we're going to see here, which is him coming off a DHO quickly letting it fly. I mean, mm. uh, one of the things that I did like that Michigan did, which I don't know if it was completely conducive to winning for them, because I think it, they would have been better served to put him on the ball more, but they would put him in one of the corners and run him off movement and different actions to get him going downhill, which we'll see. Um, when the finishing because he's not like the burstiest guy so they created advantages for him by giving him opportunities to shoot off movement and it's it's really pretty no dude i i freaking love everything that you said Corey. and i really quickly wanted to say um shouts to eric olson in our in our comments who just said mid-range is low-key back in the nba and that's something that you and i talk about all the time it's it's not even low-key it's high-key like you Mm -hmm. look at all the elite scorers in the nba and they have a mid-range jumper in their back and for buffkin to be that type of guy and i i love the name that you mentioned because that was a name that i was thinking about as well (laughs) and jalen brunson and you know just imagine jalen brunson at six four is a really really interesting (laughs) number um but But, but Corey, like, just, you know, going back to what you were saying, like, this is a guy who, um, yeah, I, I just, I also wanted to note in that other clip that you showed, uh, the pass that, uh, you know, he caught on the catch and shoot, uh, that passes from Jed Howard, beautiful dime, beautiful, <laughs> look, beautiful pass. Um, but no, I'm with you, man. I, I love the shooting. I think the biggest thing with Buffkin and the reason why we can get excited about a player like this and the reason why you and I and the rest of us at No Ceilings have him a little bit higher than maybe different outlets is because, um, you know, there's real potential there with a different type of shot diet next season in a different type of role. Now, of course it may not even be in his rookie season, maybe in year two, year three, year four, but you know, considering what he showed in college and also the improvement that he showed from his freshman season to his sophomore season, it's hard to not believe in what we're seeing. And so, um, and also Corey really quickly, I did want to know that even in March and well, sorry, not even in March, but I wanted to highlight some of his games in March because, you know, this is when we knew that Jed Howard was really struggling with that ankle injury and he had to take on more of a load. He had some really, really good scoring games against Illinois, against Indiana. And in those games, he was really able to kind of show off all that stuff that you're talking about, right? Especially from the mid-range. He was hitting some big shots, especially in that game um, against Indiana down the stretch. He hit some, actually, no, the Illinois one down the stretch, last five minutes, hit some huge shots from the mid-range and also attacking the rim. And we'll talk more about the finishing, but uh, fantastic, fantastic shooter, in my opinion. And I think he's only going to get better. Yeah, so I, I think if I had any critiques about him as a shooter, it would be one, sometimes the reason the volume isn't at like, I think he was at like six and a half or seven threes per hundred possessions, something like that, which is good. It's solid, but he should be at like 10. Like he should really be catching and shooting a lane and fly. And part of it is he's cerebral, like you said. And and I, I would like to see him sometimes force, not force, but be a little bit more aggressive in, in 
looking for those shots. And I, and I think at the end of the year, he, he did do a good job of that. Um, the other thing is, you know, I, I think there is this slight elbow flare sometimes in his jumper. So I'm going to play uh, this clip here from the NIT against Toledo. Kobe's in the corner. He gets the ball, right? Mm. Pretty rough miss, okay? But yeah. I'm going to I'm going to rewind it and let me let me pause it on the screen. I'm going to try to get it to where you could there see. Yeah. You know, you so basically right now he's got a like chicken wing with his left arm, right? And and he's a lefty, so he, you mostly want that 90 degree angle, that tuck. Yeah. And I think it's not a big deal because he usually has, like he's got a very smooth follow through. I think he's got great touch, but this little elbow flare here sometimes I think leads to the inconsistency in his distance shooting. Um, and, and because otherwise I think, I mean, the touch is certainly soft in there and you would just expect him to be a little bit better of a shooter percentage wise than he is based on the form. But when you kind of slow it down, sometimes, you know, it, it kind of is understandable to me why maybe he isn't the shooter percentage wise that we see, but the rest of it, if you don't slow it down, it looks good. Right. So that's kind of my nitpick. No, especially considering like um, the shots that you showed before, like the, the one against Wisconsin, um, from kind of from like that l- longer, farther view. Um, yeah, that shot looked really good, and that one, his elbow did look tucked in, and um, all the mechanics of it looked a lot cleaner. So, Corey, you're right. Maybe it it is something like a little tweak that he makes, and as you mentioned, Corey, it's not a major thing, right? It's something that he could very easily fix and work on. So, um, man, if 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 all we're talking about with him in terms of his shooting, you know, improving is like this one minor tweak. I think clearly we're talking about a guy who's a pretty uh, efficient shooter. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent and things get really scary. I think um, when we realize that he's a, he's got real three level scoring potential. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm going to read you some, yeah. some synergy yeah, numbers. At this too. Okay. <laughs> Uh, finishing at the rim, 71.1% overall, which is for a, a 6'4", 175-pound guard, pretty fantastic. Uh, Mitchell Robinson territory. 68.5% on layups. So for a guy who, uh, sneaky athletic, I think, you know, yeah. has some, you know, he a decent amount of dunks this year, good adequate amount. 67 and a half percent in the half court. So, you know, like Rucker and I just wrote about the Thompson twins and Amen and Asar, their finishing numbers are very inflated due to the fact that they are running out in transition in the overtime elite league, like maniacs. Like I think Amen was over or just at 30% of um, his total time of possession was in transition, right? So when you're leaking out and getting so many opportunities, your finishing is going to be high. But when you look in the half court, it dips down significantly. Kobe Bufkin was 67.5% at the rim in the half court. So, I mean, that is, uh, you know, a really legit percentage where you're like, whoo, like there's some juice there, especially because he has some things to work on. Now, um, you know, here against Indiana, 
Uh, he's going to operate. He's going to come get the ball at the top of the key. We're going to have uh, Hunter Dickinson again pop up on our screen, throw a little screen, and he's able to get all the way downhill. Now, he's not the burstiest guy yes. in the world. So mm-hmm. giving him this much room, and I think this is a good way to illustrate kind of the NBA context, whereas this kind of four out, I mean, there's a guy kind of sneaking in the dunker spot, um, but bringing, uh, you know, the big up, you know, to the level, right? Trace Jackson Davis is is guarding out at the three-point line. And Jet Howard now is spaced out in the strong corner as we pause it here. You're, you can't help off Jet Howard in the strong corner, and you definitely can't help off the strong corner in the NBA. Um, so it allows him to just get all the way to the rim. So I think when we're looking at um, his context as a finisher, even though this is a really simple possession, right? It is, I think, really indicative of uh, the type of plays that he's going to be able to you know, get to the rim at the next level. And it's, you know, a really encouraging thing. And obviously it's like really hard to nitpick and we will, that's our job here. Um, we will do that, but he's really got some stuff. Um, here's another action coming off that movement from the corner and he attacks Zach Eady with a little bit of momentum, right? Which, which I like a lot. Um, so, and I think that he's going to be sharing the court with another ball handler. So getting him coming off movement like this, and now you're able to attack downhill, uh, especially against a guy like Zach Eady, who's gigantic, um, protecting the rim and not being afraid to attack him and him being a lefty and able to kind of throw Eady off where most guys are going to finish to the right. And he uses the off hand here to, to finish. It's really pretty. Um, something that I, I wrote, it's, I, I wanted to see more of it, but some of it, a, a lot of his offhand finishes looked really, really good. Um, even in this specific play, Corey, um, you, you mentioned the offhand finish, but something that's really nice is as he's getting downhill. Now I can't see exactly where his eyes are, but it does mm-hmm. look like he's looking at the weak side corner here. That kind of gives like a little freeze or a little hesitation there on Edie to kind of get him going. Um, and that's the type of cere- cerebral, really smart savvy type of play that we're talking about that makes him such an interesting finisher now of course like when we talk about him in the nba in year one right he's probably not going to be at this level of finisher but um the fact that he finished at the level that he did in college is a really intriguing one because we've also had guys who um had similar volume if not more that you know really struggled at finishing at the rim like a a name that I bring up that we mentioned before, like a Zaire Williams, who, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, you know, in that season for Stanford, really struggled at the rim. So this is a really good thing. And and Corey, I do want to mention, as you brought up, um, he's not the quickest player. Um, now I, I I know that you know, looking at certain things, he may remind you of certain lefties that are really explosive. But his first step is not the fastest. His overall speed, I don't think, is the fastest. He does have really long arms that w- enable him to take long strides, but you know, speed is not necessarily, you know, the, the, the marquee skill that he has, but he does have savvy. He does have hesitations. As you mentioned, I think he can, you know, manipulate things with his eyes. Um, and obviously with the threat of the outside jumper and the mid range jumper, all of those things factor into his finishing at the rim as well. And of course he's not the strongest, um, guard right now either. Um, but 
I do think he has a good frame to add muscle. Yes. Um, I, I don't think he's ever going to be like just even looking at him now. He's not Jason Tatum. However, if you look at his frame, it, it's wide enough and his shoulders are not terrible. So no, I, I think I he's do, got pretty good shoulders. Yeah. So I actually do think he's going to add mass and be pretty strong, which will also help with that finishing and also get him to the foul line more than he did last season, which is something that I mentioned before. I think this past season, he only took 2.6 per game at a high clip. But hopefully, you know, more attacking the rim, taking more physicality, will get that number up as well. Yeah, and, you know, I think just trying to embrace contact. But I want to go back to you mentioned how cerebral he is. He doesn't have a bursty first step. So when guys don't have a bursty first step, you have to win with craft. And that's what he does. He wins with craft. So let's look at this possession. We're in kind of semi-transition. Dickinson sets a little drag screen type action here. We got ZD at the level, uh, Zach Eady at the level up top. So he's going to come off this screen. Now he's got Eady in drop at the free throw line. And he's going to throw a slight little hesitation right there to kind of freeze him because you have to guard that pick and roll. And I think, or the mid-range, sorry. Right. And when you hit that mid-range at that clip, it gives him just enough time to be able to finish um, around and over, you know, a seven foot four behemoth in the paint. So that's that's what's really, really impressive um, about his craft is that he has these little veteran techniques already to kind of help himself deal with the fact that he isn't a super athlete. You know, he's he's not going to just absolutely burst down you, uh, bur- blow by you with his burst, but he does have enough craft. And then, um, you know, you talk about, you know, we think that he's got a, a decent enough frame. He comes off the little DHO. Like, he doesn't blow by this guy here, but he's strong enough even at 175 pounds yeah. and confident enough as a ball handler because um, he doesn't turn the ball over a ton, to be able to, even with a guy on his hip, kind of, you see those little crafty um, offhand swipes. So so watch as he gets downhill. J- to keep the defender off of him, even though he's side by side, look at these offhand swipes. There's two little offhand swipes as, he, as he's coming to his, uh, you know, to his drive, that even though he's not bursty, he's able to protect the ball and be able to finish cleanly at the rim. So we got one, two and now he's at the rim Mm -hmm. two feet in the paint and you know if if you have to win with craft we i I think we kind of really agree um that he's a that this is a league that is trending towards skill you know you don't have to be a supreme athlete it it helps if you can blend that supreme skill with supreme athleticism it's it's obviously a, a a great thing but nowadays like if you have a frame, if you have size, and if you have skill, it compensates for for athleticism. And a lot of times what we look for in athletes, you know, we we kind of put more on a pedestal than the guys who are just really skilled, really crafty. And because we, I think we think that they're not going to continue to get craftier and more skilled. And I, I think that's just not the case. Like these guys continue to get better and better and more comfortable at playing at different speeds. So... Uh, these skilled guys, there's a level of potential that we don't always talk about with them because, you know, they don't jump out of the gym. Yeah. And, you know, like a guy that you mentioned before, like a Jalen Brunson type of guy. Right? Yeah. He, he only got better in the league. And you look at Bufkin and Corey, everything that you talked about, right, with a lack of pace and a lack of burst. 
um, he's going to get stronger. And I think mm-hmm. he may end up at 195, 200, you know, when he's kind of in his prime. And if he's at 195, it, actually 200 might, might be a stretch, but who knows, right? Um, but if he's at like 195, right, that's uh, a lot of strength. Uh, that's a lot of power. That's a lot of mass. That's really going to help him. And yeah, it, I, I don't think he'll ever be the burstiest athlete, but the strength is going to be there. The savvy is going to be there. As I mentioned before, like his manipulation, like with his eyes and stuff like that will always be there. And he's only, I think it only gets better. But even in the clip that you were showing before, as you were talking, um, off ball movement stuff is good too. Good cutter, mm-hmm. dude. And that's all the savvy cerebral stuff that we're talking about. And those are the plays, you know, you get a couple of those a game. It's extra four, six points every single game. That type of stuff helps. Um, and it really helps him and helps, the different types of shots and the three level scoring that you're talking about. So having those layers, having those different things to his bag only helps him. And, you know, then to be honest, the clip that you're showing now kind of goes to what we've been saying, right? The lack of birds, the lap, lack of athleticism. And then also maybe the need for him to embrace more contact um, on the next level should help as well. I, that's the point. I think that, is really important on this clip here where again he's starting in the weak side corner he's going to come pop up off a little screen he's going to come off the handoff then get into another screen he's got the big one-on-one uh and the big has the advantage here and you know this is a a big on wisconsin it's not joel Embiid or brooke Mm -hmm. lopez waiting at the rim right so uh, he's a below the rim finisher um, as is like, you know, we said he can get up a little bit. If he's got a little bit of runway, a little bit of momentum, but for the most part, he's looking to finish with craft and pace and below the rim. And if he's going to do that, like you mentioned, like he's got to just get into his defender's chest here because it, look, if you're going to get blocked, yeah, you might as well do it aggressively instead of laying up, you know, some kind of weak shit that he does here with his offhand um, when he really should just put his shoulder into the big's chest. And look, you draw contact and get the call. Great. If you get blocked, well, you just got your shit sent out of bounds, too. So, you know, I, I kind of want to we've been very complimentary so yeah. far. I do want to at least touch on the fact that if he's not, you know, he's going to be frail, but that doesn't mean that he can't be tougher. Yeah. I mean, Corey, the, this exact play, the thing that he needs to do is the Jalen Brunson special. When Jalen Brunson mm. is one-on-one with a big, what he'll do is um, he'll take, when, when it, with his one-two step into the lane, that second step will go into the big to create that little bump so that he can get a shot off at whatever angle he's at. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It The physicality needs to be there because... Um, Believe it or not, NBA bigs are more athletic, they're taller, <laughs> they're stronger, and they're grown yeah. as men. So for him to get that shot off, he's <laughs> going to have to de- learn that little bump from Jalen Brunson because Brunson is a one guard who is, you know, built, you know, nice and he's, stocky. Yeah, he's stocky. In the Chris Paul mold, but you know he he learned very quickly that he needed that in his bag if he was going to get a shot off against NBA centers. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. All right, let's... uh dive into a little bit of his playmaking you know because he's a guy that doesn't have a crazy high assist total but again he wasn't really playing point guard Mm -hmm. and i think he might be a point guard at the next level (laughs) i i'm i'm laughing Corey, because i'm it look it's once again, role, context, setting, all of these things are really, really important, right? And I, I think we've 
we've spent 43 minutes on this podcast talking about how smart he is, right? And I think with where he was for Michigan and what, you know, Coach Howard was asking him to do, I thought he did exactly what he was asked to do, right? But on the NBA on the NBA level, um, him being 6'4", who knows? He may even be 6'5". I, I don't know. He looks taller than me. I don't know what it is. But um, him being at 6'4", with his handle, his three-level scoring, and the passing, once again, Corey, as you mentioned, the assist numbers are not high, but watch the tape. When he's running pick and roll, this guy is a really high level decision maker. And I really enjoyed watching him run the pick and roll. So um, I'm with you, Corey. I, I didn't go as far. I, I guess I lack the courage that you have to be to be able to say like, oh, I think he's going to be a point guard. But in my mind, I was like, he is going to be a guard. He's going to be a combo. He's going to be a guy that can very easily run sets for you, can run pick and roll, can be a decision maker for you on the offensive side of the court. So I, I just love that you went there. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think he's the perfect modern day combo guard because he could play on or off the ball. But like, he's got some point guard shit to him. And if if he now if he's six four as a point guard, now it's like, oh, well, maybe he's like got good size for a point guard, right? But let's look at this breakdown, this set that we've been playing um, on the stream, where it's a basic pick and roll, and I like starting here because it shows a lot of things because it's one of the most simple plays that you can run. And if you can execute the the hit to the roller, then, you know, it opens up a lot of other things. So Dickinson, again, he's going to come off. Um, he kind of sees that the tag is going to be late. Um, Dickinson's man kind of meets him at the level. And look at the ball placement there. He throws it up to a spot leading him to the rim. So, you know, we talked about the ball placement with Colby Jones is another guy who was so great at hitting his roller with with ball placement. And I think that Kobe Bufkin is a guy who does it, too, because, you know, you're you're throwing the ball in a direction where it makes it easier for your big to score. He doesn't have to uh, put the ball down, you know, like he can he can just go straight up with the ball, which is really important. Um, but, you know, in other ball screen scenarios, little strip. Um, off the dig, we'll turn defense to offense, a little semi-transition, Tyrus Reed. Look at the pace there. Mm. This is one of my favorite passes that we'll that he made. Yeah. The, the look away takes the retreat dribble to kind of draw the pause, the hesitation. Uh, it's just really, really pretty stuff. You know, nobody recovers. Mm. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. It's a heady play, right? Because the guy who popped... Obviously, a good shooter. You know, defense is reacting to that. They're they're jumping out to get to him, and he just makes a perfect read. This is pretty stuff, Corey. It really is, and that's why I'm with you. Like, I, the passing stuff was real, and with more opportunity, and depending on you know, and you know what, Corey, I was thinking about this too. Um, as much as we talk about like NBA players and their vision and stuff, um, it really front offices need vision as well. The stuff that you're talking about, Corey, like a front office person needs to have the vision to be able to see, hey, Kobe Bufkin maybe didn't get to play that role as much as he wanted in college, but with more volume in the NBA, with more reps and experience, uh, he can very easily become a point guard or, you know, a, a, number, a lead guard type of player. So I, I'm with you, man. Like this stuff here that you're showing, and I saw it on tape as well, and I was really excited to talk about it because 
it, I, I was having a conversation with Metcalf when we're in Portland and we we're talking about guys who have vision, but also lack accuracy. And I think something that you mentioned before, right, with the ball placement and the, the, some of the stuff that you see with his connection with Hunter Dickinson, it's, it's not just enough for you to have the vision to see where the man is open, but it's to also have the ball placement and accuracy to get it to them in a place where only they can catch it and they can actually do something with that ball. And so I, I just wanted to note that with Bufkin, it's not simply that he has vision and feel, but he also has the ball placement and accuracy as well. A hundred percent. And he's confident and patient when he's running ball screens. So, you know, right there, Cliff Amore from Rutgers, absolute freak athlete, you know, sends a little hedge at him and he just retreats and makes a simple play. Uh, here we get a hard hedge and he shows his, ambi- uh, mm-hmm. how, how he can, his ambidexterity by mm-hmm. making a live dribble, right hand hit, which we're going to see a few more clips of, um, but takes a retreat dribble through the leg, right hand hit to his shooter. It, <clears throat> it doesn't seem super complicated, but when you get a hard hedge coming at you like that, um, you know, it's it's an impressive play, even though it's simple. And sometimes the simple plays are the impressive plays, and, and you need to make impressive, simple plays at the next level. So quick decision-making to get the ball to your shooter. Um, I love that play. And, you know, we're going to see another, uh, I believe, right-hand live dribble hit, hit here. Coming off, getting downhill, a little mm. wraparound live dribble to back to kind of the strong corner. He goes middle on the ball screen there. And, um, you know, he, he didn't make a ton. And again, it goes back to him not being the full-time primary initiator. So he didn't make a ton of like these weak side hits throughout the season. A lot of it was like pick and roll Hunter Dickinson, draw a switch and then get the ball inside. And that's his job. And who knows, maybe, you know, he, uh, hit you know he plays with Joel Embiid or something at the next level and you know, he does a, a similar thing but I do think he does have it in his bag you saw a nice pass there and then um you know here we're gonna see a nice little weak side hit you know side ball screen gets downhill live dribble with his left hand Jet Howard's in the corner that's gonna be money you know a, a lot, lot of the time mm-hmm. a lot of the time <laughs> no, Corey, but I, I, that, I agree with you. And I, that's why I wanted to go back to what I said before in that the context and the role and all these things are really, really important. Like a lot of the stuff that he was asked to do is just being a connector in, in Michigan, you know, like off a swing passage of making that extra pass to the yeah, corner. Like, he was great at that. He's, he's very unselfish. Very good. Very good. He'll catch it at the wing, right? He sees an open man in the corner and just, you know, nice little bounce past him and they got a wide open shot. Those are good things. Those are you know, things that he was asked to do and he did it at a high level. So sometimes it takes a little vision. It takes a little imagination to see. And clearly Bufkin has the ability to one day, I think, be, you know, that type of guard as well. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Let's um, switch it over to the opposite side of the ball because we've been going 50 minutes on his (laughs) offense. Um, So tell me what you think about him as a defender. Um, I, I think I mentioned it in in uh, the other pod that we did uh, with the, the double technical Tyler's. Um, <laughs> the thing with me with Buffkin is I just love his hands. 
Um, I, I just thought his hands were lightning quick. Um, I, I'm not going to say that he was a perfect defender, but the biggest thing I think that he used to his advantage was definitely his quick hands and his length. Um, the way that he was able to contest shots, alter shots, even block perimeter shots um, at times was really, really impressive. And if you're talking about a 6'4 guard who is going to be asked to guard ones and twos, um, he in my opinion, I, he could be a weapon uh, with that type of length and uh, the, the quick hands that he has. Um, I, I think laterally, uh, kind of similar to what we talked about on the offensive end, he wasn't, you know, there wasn't so much to write home about as, as a lateral athlete and even as a lateral defender. But, you know, I, I thought the savvy was there on the defensive side of the ball as well. But, um, yeah, the, big, the, the, the things that I wanted to highlight for sure were the quick hands and the length. Yeah, I actually think he's a pretty good lateral mover too. Uh, I, I do. I Because... It feels like, you know, you don't have to be like super bursty. Like, you know, yeah. he's not Davion Mitchell. Um, you know, Davion's like super bursty as a lateral mover, if that <laughs> that makes sense, right? Um, Kobe isn't necess- uh, necessarily that quick, but he doesn't need to be because he's got good anticipation and he's a smooth mover. So I, I do think I like him there. You mentioned his quick hands and you mentioned the length. And I think the length is, is really his saving grace. It's almost... Um, you know, like a sneaky weapon for him and yeah. in, in that it, it helps him recover a lot of times. Uh, but I also think that, you know, when he's out on an island, he he's really able to kind of shadow his man and he does a good job not biting on like pump fakes, like stays on his feet, um, just goes straight up. Uh, you, you mentioned his like steel and his block number, uh, steel percentage of two block percentage of two, which is like, you know, really good. I mean, the block percentage, especially for a six, four guard, um, He's, you know, like a guy who is going to need to use his length to his advantage because we mentioned the frame and that is a a real issue on the defensive side of the ball as well. So, you know, we're going to see here, you know, he kind of gets bodied, but he's able to get back into the play and recover because of his length. I mean, (laughs) he's, he literally just gets, it, it looks like, uh, he took like a, a push to the chest as, as he's backpedaling and, and, you know, getting the defenders drawing him downhill, just boom, shoulder to the chest, but great recovery, able to recover. Yeah. I mean, Corey, I just really quickly going back to what I said before, I'm with you. I think he does move well and he is fluid. I think it just goes back to something I've said to you for years where like when I have these like long legs, shorter torso guys, it kind of throws me off sometimes. And like, I, I feel like laterally it, it has an effect on them, but you're right. He does a good job. He does do a good job. It could just be a me thing where I, I just look at his long legs and I wonder um, how quickly he can move those feet. But at, at the same time, like I'm also the same guy who said on offense that it was, you know, good for him where he could create separation <laughs> and stuff like that, too. So I, I, I'm with you. It, it's just, you know, once again, the length is there. Um, the length is going to be a huge weapon of his. The frame has to it has to develop. And we've we say this all the time. The grown the grown man strength has to come in. The grown man weight has to come in. Um when those things come in, I think it will be um, advantageous for him because I think he is a pretty smart defender as well. But I, you're you're not wrong though. But like here, NBA level athlete, Terrence Shannon Jr., and he just kind of blows by him. Yeah, you know. So it's it's not as if the fact that he doesn't have that quick side to side burst isn't going to hurt him. And then here, you know, Terrence Shannon gets him to to bite at the pump fake, and he's strong enough. It's kind of go up and through. It's it's not devastating. 
there's no help. Thanks, Jet. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yep. you know, uh, and, and hopefully he has that <laughs> at the next level. Um, but, you know, the, the fact that he isn't the, the best athlete, I think is going to hamper him because as good as he was in college, and I, I do think he was good, I do think that he his biggest adjustment will not be on on the offensive side of the ball. It's going to be on the de- defensive side because even when he has nice defensive possessions, when you look at guys who are just stronger than him, yeah, oof, workout, mm-hmm. yeah, like hey, like if you're Michigan, you're like hey, try to hit that again, right? Because it's good defense, but it it goes to the fact that like you know a, a college high level Division one Big Ten guard can kind of just overpower him. Yeah. Right. So what do NBA teams want defensively? They want a guy who is going to be able to guard multiple positions. Yeah. I think he's going to be able to guard multiple positions, but I think it's going to be the one and the two. Yeah. And I think there are going to be certain matchups at the two that are going to be hard for him. You know, like RJ Barrett playing the two mm. is a hard matchup for him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the clips that you're showing, is, this is kind of classic mouse in the house type of stuff. You know, like, it, it's it's tough. But also at the same time, like, I kind of liked, you know, in that last one, I know he got bodied it's by... Yeah, but also, like, I like that he tried to stay vertical. He wasn't trying to foul. He's yeah, it was good. Be, it's... You know, trying to be disciplined and stuff. But you're right. Like, the weight has to come in. Like, 175 at 6'4 is pretty light. But... The frame's there, so let's let's get him in the weight room. Let's get him an he's, NBA diet, and he's you know. young for a sophomore. Correct, correct. He's young for a sophomore. He's still uh, growing. St- yeah, he'll get stronger. Um, but again, you know, ball screen heavy league. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. thought he really struggled on ball screens. Yeah, yeah. Like when he gets over them, and he, you know he can be slithery when he stays really tight. It's good, but he gets caught on some screens sometimes, and he's just. You know, he's just not strong enough to get back. And, you know, like here, um, he gets caught on the screen leading to a, a, a mid-range jumper uh, from, I believe, Derek Simpson on Rutgers. Uh, and, you know, that's fine because he settles for a tough, tough shot over Terrace Reed. But now you got, you know, Kobe Bufkin trying to block out Cliff Amore. And it's like Mm-mm. not the most ideal scenario in the world. So. Look, he's got to get stronger. Uh, I, I think that that is going to be apparent. I think that that's what you know. NBA teams are even going to tell him in, in these workouts. Um, but he's a good defender, and you know, I I think this is the last defensive clip that I have for him. And ultimately, um, it results in a made bucket. But I just thought it was a really good defensive possession for him, where he's he's using his hands, playing straight up, and it's just a tough shot. Yeah, and something I wanted to say, Corey, I think he flips his hips pretty well too. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. That that's that's a good thing. Um, and it, it's like, yeah, like you see it right here. Like he's here and makes a little swipe, and then boom, he's able to recover. I I, I yeah, like, like him. It is. Yeah, it's good it's, defense. It's just it, he's just not. <laughs> he's just not. He's got to He's got to get his weight up. Yeah. Yeah, and at the same time, for our listeners out there, we're saying that he needs to get his weight up, but we're not saying that it's not possible. We are saying it's very possible, and he has a great frame, and he's going to get there eventually. Um, and but Corey, the, I think the exciting thing is, is that from everything that we've talked about and everything that we've seen on the screen here, is that the foundation is good. 
And, and it's yeah. good that the foundation is good because some guys in college, foundation is bad. And there's a <laughs> lot of reworking and retooling that you have to do. And I think the instincts are good with him. The, the, the process is good with him. The discipline is good with him. And the baseline ability is good with him. But it's just, he's just got to get a little stronger. And so, just a little. I, yeah, yeah. So I'm with you. Good, good defender will get better with more weight and size and strength. Yeah. And I think, you know, ultimately, it'll come along. But when he could focus strictly on being a defender and kind of like a complimentary player, whereas at the end of the year, you know, he kind of was a guy who did yes. take on more of a load with Jet, that becomes harder to accomplish, especially as you're, you know, um, learning how to operate within that role. But he's got got some really interesting, interesting, interesting tools. All right. So uh, if you're buying stock in Kobe Bufkin, who may you have bought stock in previously? So this is an interesting one for me. I had a couple of names. Um, the, the Jalen Brunson one, I think, is a beautiful one because for a lot of different reasons, just a little bit taller. Uh, I thought a little bit of Mike Conley. Um, yeah, I have Mike and, Conley, too. Yeah, I had to do the Mike Conley comp because of the pace that he plays with, the vision that we talked about. Um, Mike Conley, famously known for his offhand right-hand fl floater that he's so effective with, such a good offhand finisher. And I feel like um, Buffett's going to have that in his game as well. Um, also, as I mentioned before, there are you know, little hints and you know, little tiny hints of like hard into his game um just you know because he's a lefty and some of the handle stuff um i i, I put in De'Aaron fox obviously De'Aaron fox is a much better athlete but it's hard not to see some of the fox stuff in terms of like the way that his body looks um and the way that you know he moves on the floor as well with the long legs and stuff just you know just like eye tests type of stuff he kind of looks like fox it's just fox is a supreme athlete so that's where the comp ends there but i, I think if i had to pick one name out of all those like I, i'd like to put mike conley because i think he if all goes well mike conley might be the one percent outcome for him and have that type of career uh if not better if all things go well yeah and mike conley is still helping teams win and Correct. he's a guy who you can kind of place on any kind of roster construction and he's going to be able to fit in seamlessly shoot on or off the ball. He can make plays. I think, you know, when Conley came into the league, he was burstier. Yeah. But he's a guy ultimately that won with craft and won with pace. And I think that, you know, that's what we see Kobe Bufkin do time after time after time. So the only other name that I had, there's like, a little bit of D'Angelo Russell. Okay. And, you know, we'd look at D'Angelo Russell now and, you know, the contract and, and whatnot. But, like, D'Angelo Russell is a good basketball player. If D'Angelo Russell wasn't making the money he was making, I think you'd be a little bit happier to have him on your team. And, you know, he's a guy that also, I think, because of where he was drafted and the pedigree he had, you know, came with the the, okay, this is a guy who has to play on the ball a lot. And, you know, ultimately, now he's, found himself back where he started and he's kind of playing a much more suitable role for him to thrive, which is like, you're not the guy, but you still have this on ball juice, but you can also, you have the shooting ability to, to play off the ball. And I do think Kobe Bufkin has more defensive potential yeah. than D'Angelo Russell does. So, but all good names, you know, there's, yeah. I, it, it goes to show like he was just a really high level player. And, and, and I look, he also, um, you know, didn't, 
exactly help Michigan win the most games. Him, Jet, Hunter Dickinson, you would expect guys of that ilk in the college level to lead to more wins. So, you know, there, there's something to be said about that. But, you know, we like some other guys who maybe weren't in the best construction with talented teams that didn't win. So, you know, if we're not going to hold those guys to that standard, um, then we shouldn't fully, you know, hold Kobe to that that standard either. But really, really intriguing player. And really quickly, Corey, I think the last thing that I wanted to say as we're talking about comms is I was thinking in terms of mentality and aggression and what we talked about being maybe a little bit more aggressive attacking the rim and just overall being more of like a, a hunter type of guy. I thought a little bit of Nick Van Exel and I was like, man, I oh. hope you, yeah, I hope you kind of have the Nick Van Exel shit to you one day. Uh, Van Exel in his prime was a guy who had so much flash, was not shy about taking shots, was such an aggressive type of player as a small guard, uh, as a lefty as well. And just thinking about Van Exel, I was like, man, I hope I hope Buffkin kind of takes some of that spirit of Nick Van Exel and adds that to his game. But even like the the older, more mature, like Dallas Mavericks version of Nick oh, Van well, Exel. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who like didn't show as much flash, was a little bit more yeah. nuanced in his decisions. Yeah. But could, you know, maybe go off for 40 in a playoff game <laughs> <laughs> for the Mavs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I, Nick Van Exel is an interesting one. I like yeah. I like the Nick Van Exel one, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I really do. I, I really do. All right. Um, it's that time. America's favorite segment. It's time for you to sell me this pen on Michigan's Kobe Bufkin. <sighs> OK, so this is going to be really difficult for me because of how much I like him. Right. Um, but here we go. So Kobe Bufkin is a guy who, depending on how you, depending on what team you're a front office guy for, but actually regardless of what team you're on, he's a guy that you're going to want to grab in the first round. And the reason why is other than the million things we've said about him today and the different, all the praise we've given him, but he's a guy on the base level is a guy who's going to be able to play on the ball, play off the ball. He's a guy who's going to be able to be a, he's going to be a versatile defender one day with more mass and strength and all that stuff. Um, So overall, like, and especially on offense, a guy who's going to be a three level scorer, a guy who has real passing chops to him, a guy that plays really smart within himself is a team player, knows how to play a role, but also down the line, we think is going to be able to take on more of a more responsibility and more playmaking stuff like so he's a guy that from year one from his rookie season is going to be a smart heady player that can play a role but it's a guy that you're going to want to invest in and eventually kind of cultivate the rest of his game into maybe becoming a number one number two option type of guy one day he really has that type of potential in him um and so if you're into all that and has a beautiful left-handed stroke, can also score a high efficient score from the inside, even with his offhand. If you're interested in those types of things, you should probably grab Kobe Bufkin. And I imagine most NBA teams are into that type of player. Yeah. Again, I think he's going to be a big riser yeah. in this cycle. And I think it'll be warranted. Uh, came on late. And we love those guys. And I think it's important to remember with those guys when you're like, oh, is this too high? It's not. Yeah. Like, it might not be too high, right? Because we look at Jalen Williams right now. Jalen Williams definitely going in the top five. And we have, I think we as a whole, at no ceilings, you know, we were way higher on him than I think the consensus was. Yeah. And we were like, you know, you wrote an article saying he, the Knicks should take him, um, you know, top 10 pick. Yeah, like, 
if you feel like Kobe Bufkin is a top 10 pick, I think you are more than justified because, and you know, we threw this to the, you know, I threw this to the group chat a while ago um, during the season. I was like, sell me on Nick Smith Jr. over Kobe Bufkin. Right. And it's like, if sure, he's a little bit younger, but like he was also way worse at basketball. And, you know, like there are reasons that you can, you know, give yourself for saying that SEC, young freshman coming back from injury, middle of the SEC, probably all warranted, but also the tape gave us what the tape gave us. So if you still believe that Nick Smith Jr. is, you know, a top 10 pick, why isn't Kobe Bufkin a potential top 10 pick? I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, it's, and like, yeah. I have him at 16 right now. So, you know, I, I might, he might be there um, come draft night. Maybe I have him lower. Maybe I have him higher. I don't know. But what I'm saying is if you believe in a prospect like a Kobe Bufkin, I think it's completely reasonable for you to rank him where you feel it's appropriate to rank him because the draft and consensus is never right. And I think that's the most important thing to remember. Corey, last thing, and you you bring this this one up all the time. Back when Tyrese Halliburton was in the draft, you had him pretty high, and you always said that you regretted not putting him higher, right? And that's something that it, it speaks to exactly what you're talking about. And I think Buffkin is that type of guy. I'm not saying that he should be, you know, top three on your board, but I mean, if you're really convicted, why not? Because he <laughs> is a really interesting prospect. So just wanted to throw that last bit in there. A hundred percent. All right, this was a really fun episode. This is this is a really good one. Uh, shout out to the new uh, stream yard features that made the the stream look dope. Um, Albert, tell the World Wide Web's where they can find you. Um, on the internet, uh, you can find me at Alberto Gim on Twitter is where you can find me on Instagram. I'm at GTGNBA is where I'm at. Uh, I'm still trying to increase my follower numbers. I think I'm like the only guy at No Ceilings that doesn't have a thousand followers. On, we got to change that on Twitter. What are you guys doing? I'm I'm awesome, dude. I'm a great Twitter follow. Do I have great to Twitter follow? My succession, pen? The Office, yeah. uh, hoops, yeah. football. Um, yeah. you know, uh, worldwide football, international yeah. football. You know, I've like, got all kinds of stuff going on, and I offer a, a a variety of stuff. Come follow me on Twitter is what I'm trying to say, uh, and on Instagram as well. Follow follow Albert. Um, Rucker and I just wrote a piece on the Thompson twins. Uh where we went really in depth. It was an absolute um, pleasure and nightmare to write it with Rucker because we were (laughs) writing it while we were at the Nike hoop summit in Portland, when we were getting home from these practices uh, late at night, Uh, I was still on East coast time, uh, you know, three hours ahead. So I was exhausted by the time, but we got it done. We published it. Uh, I broke down Amen's shooting progression in form over the last two years. Uh, we, we made the case for Asar, the prospect. It was a really fun piece. So check that out at noceilingsmba.com. It's free. We're putting out content at least Monday through Friday. And a lot of the times Sunday through Friday, uh, subscribe. You'll get it delivered directly to your inbox. Make sure that if you're watching this on YouTube, you like um the channel you like the video you subscribe all that good shit five star rating on apple and spotify podcast for your boys uh stay tuned for the tylers tomorrow until that time we're out peace peace